Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. you ready to write? Do you want to learn what it takes to create a writing career? Then tune in and take notes because on Simply Write, we talk about the writer's craft and the qualities and quirks of living a writer's life. Let's go. Hello and welcome to Simply Write, the podcast where we talk about creating a writing career and living a writer's life. I'm Polly. How's your week been going? Your writing week? I will tell you, I I am fired up. Last week I did something I haven't done in years. I went away to write for two days all by myself. No husband, no kids. I didn't text anyone. I didn't talk to anyone. And I went to this little place at the beach and I sat at the big dining room table and wrote and stared at uh, the ocean and stared at my screen and I made more progress on a project than I had in the whole month of February. It was, it was great. It was invigorating. It's been such a frustrating winter because we've had some big real life stuff going on around here that needed my attention and my family. And I'm glad to do that. You know, I am a mom, I am a wife, I am a sister. I want to be those things to people. But one of the best things about having this job as a writer is you have that kind of flexibility to do the stuff you need to do with your family, the other things that are important to you. But one of the worst things about this job is it's hard to find your way back to the work. And when I'm not writing, I'm not publishing, I'm not making money. There's no one for the backup, right? The writing is the work. You are the commodity. So it's a good, bad thing. It's a rough thing. But I think that day away to kind of regroup was what I needed personally and and what my writing needed. And I would imagine that today's guest can relate a little bit to that. We've got the great writer, Amy Patterell here, and she's a wife and mother for sure, but she just happens to be a journalist and essayist who from Southern California who writes about health and fitness, food, wine, and travel for more than 20 years. Her work has appeared in AARP, Good Housekeeping, Real Simple, Parents Magazine, Reader's Digest, Oh, The Oprah Magazine, all over the place. And we were talking before we started recording here that I've followed her for years because I keep landing on her work and I'm thought now I'm simply right. I want to talk to this woman who's doing it all. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Polly. Thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. I read your bio and, and as you know, I followed your work and I know that you also have a family. So I imagine you can relate to that struggle that is dealing with with family issues and the stuff that we need as, as working women and also getting the writing done. Yes. Um, it's funny that you mentioned escaping for a couple of days. It took me years to figure out how important those little mini retreats are to not only like our writing well-being, but also just our, our humanity. <laughs> right. When you're trying to be everything to everyone, it's a lot. So I think those escapes to really focus are so important. I I have to say I was surprised. You know, I went away for really the first time about three and a half years ago. It was right 
after the first year of COVID maybe, so maybe it was less than that. And I had to come back early because our daughter had to go to the emergency room. <laughs> so I had gotten, you know, and as a professional, you write whenever, like just because the writing has been frustrating and, and difficult the last month, it doesn't mean I haven't been writing. I still have deadlines. I still have job responsibilities. So you do it whenever. And I was reminded how important it is, like you said, just to get a breather and have time to just go into the deep work and, and let it flow rather than being on such a tight timeline all the time. Yes. Yeah. I, I can honestly tell you if I have a really big story, especially one that's, um, really emotional and taxing. I, I actually plan trips around those, like just a two day break, but it allows me to just really get deep into that work. That's hard to do when you're trying to be a mom, trying to be a wife, trying to actually relate to people in the world. Um, so I do think it's really important. Relating to people in the world. I, I have <laughs> such a hard time when I'm working on a big project, even having a conversation after work. Yeah. You know, I get so in well, my head. You feel like yeah, I was gonna say your brain is somewhere else. Like you're physically there and you're talking to the person, but in your mind you're writing sentences because you just made a connection or you just had an aha moment on a story that you're working on. So yeah, it can be a challenge, at least for me. I'm glad to hear you do that too. I, well, when you said it, it just sparked because I write, I live with a non-writer, he's awesome, but it is a different kind of job and and I sit here I'm working at the computer all day and I walk out and I'm physically exhausted <laughs> I think mm -hmm. what the heck is going on but when our minds are working like that it's a very physical thing it takes a lot of uh energy a lot of in internal resources I think to make that happen yes and mental energy and that's why I do think the breaks even throughout the day are so important like if you just go for a walk or you you know play with a dog or whatever it is you need to sort of give your mind that respite too, I think. That brings us to the daily segment. And this is where I share with you what my schedule looks like from day to day, because I think um, sometimes it's romanticized what a, a daily schedule looks like today. It's all about, well, I get to talk to Amy. We're doing this, this interview. Um, I already got up early today. Now that I've got some momentum of that project I was talking about, I'm doing that first thing in the morning until I can see it through by the end of March. So I started early and, and wrote hard, just words on the page for a couple of hours. Now I'm doing the interview and then it's got to be all about taxes. And this, I will say, is the least favorite part of the writer's job. I, yeah. I, I get nervous. I have papers all over my desk. I'm, I'm a mix of things digitized and on the computer and things that I scroll out like some kind of fool, you know, <laughs> every year. So those are the dailies for me today. Amy, what does your schedule look like on a day like today? Oh, it's so funny. Um, yes, I can relate to everything you just said. Um, I wish, I mean, for years, I have really tried to establish quote unquote writing hours, you know, where I have like a daily schedule. Um, and it, at least once I had children, that never worked. Um, so <laughs> my kids go to school on opposite ends of town and they're all in different activities. So it is, I have this little tiny chunk in the middle of the day that I'm able to do things, but like on a daily basis, by the time I get, you know, everybody to where they need to be in the morning, I usually start my day with a walk. Like I take my dog for a walk. So he's not clawing at my legs while I'm trying to type mm -hmm. and he's not, you know, tapping on the screen every five minutes to go out. So I'll start my day with a walk. And by the time I actually shower, get to my desk, it's already about 10, 1030. Um, and then I just really dig in. I'm terrible about 
I did start using Pomodoro to sort of keep myself on track. So I, I do think that's helpful. I'll field emails first, because for me, that's sort of a dipping my toes into creative thinking and writing. And it's kind of that busy work that just gets you moving. I'll do like 20 or 30 minutes of that. And I do live by my timer because otherwise I get super distracted. I, I am not diagnosed with ADHD, but I'm convinced I have it. I cannot sit still for very long. So I, I do things throughout my day while I'm writing. Um, and then I do try to schedule quiet, like no interview time in the middle of the day so that I can actually write the words. But my typical writing usually takes place between 11 and three when I have to get my kids. Yeah, Not a lot of time. And that's why I end up working on weekends and at nights sometimes too, after everybody's in bed. You got to fit it in, especially when you're a professional and you have deadlines and, and people calling on you. I, I like the Pomodoro. I use that too for all the same reasons you mentioned. And what I find is when I do set that timer, um, sometimes, oftentimes I'll get swept away. Like it'll be a grind when I start, but then by the end of the 20 minutes, I'm deep into it or moving, or I get a little mojo going. If you can be disciplined about it, I think it makes a huge difference. And I always tell my students with essays, it's like every essay I write, I start with a 15 minute timer. Mm. If you can just make yourself free write around it for 15 minutes, I feel like you are astonished at how much you have to say and how much you can get out. All right. Tell me about that. What does that 15 minute free write look like for you? I am totally old school. So I, um, when it comes to essays and only essays, I write in a journal, like a, um, composition notebook, a composition black and white notebook. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have one that's designated just for essays. And so I do the Pennebaker exercise. I don't know if you've heard of Dr. James Pennebaker, but I love his work um, and I've applied it to us. Like his is for trauma and sort of releasing trauma. But the is you write about the same topic for four days in a row for 15 minutes at a time. Um, and, you know, naturally you're going to be repeating some information during those four days because you're writing about the same topic. But the whole idea is sort of to like get all of it out in that period of time. Mm-hmm. So it's not like mucking around in your brain. Um, and then I take those four days worth of writing and see what what sticks, what makes sense, what could be essay worthy. Um, I do use prompts occasionally, but most of the time there's something gnawing at me. There's something I'm wondering about. There's something I want to make sense of. There's something I need therapy for. <laughs> <laughs> I relate know? to that. <laughs> right? And so that's what I end up writing about. And then... Um, Sometimes those things turn into reported essays, but a lot of times they're just straight personal essays. That's interesting. Now, James Pennebaker, Dr. James Pennebaker is from the University of Texas, Austin, and he's Mm. famous for his research into expressive writing, which is basically what you said, this repeated writing on a on a topic or issue as a way of releasing our energy, our thought, our emotion, our trauma, whatever it is. And and so that's. During that time, then, Amy, do you know that there's something there or is this an exercise you do anyhow and then you trust now in the process that you're going to arrive at an essay topic? Yes, it's more the latter. I mean, I usually know there's something there because it's calling me to write, right? Otherwise, I wouldn't even take Mm -hmm. the time to do it. Um, But 90% of the time, I have no idea where it's going or if there's, you know, what we call the universal message, if there's something that other people will relate to until after that four day process. I I think that's an interesting way to get into it. I I do morning pages, but Mm -hmm. often it's just 
baloney, which is, is fine. It's just kind of like getting all this stuff, but it's nothing focused or directed. It's just kind of a mess by the end of it, which is a release. And then I go to work, but that's mm -hmm. an interesting, I like the idea of expressive writing that way. I love that you say that too, because I feel like all most aspiring writers are people who aren't doing it for a profession yet. They think there is this one formula to do things. I mm -hmm. tried to do morning pages. It just did not work for me. So I mm -hmm. feel like, and then there's this whole quote unquote rule that you have to write every day. Um, I don't, I don't ascribe to any of that kind of thing. I think you have to figure out what works for you. Some people have to write in a notebook. Other people have to write on the screen. Other people dictate, you know, like we have to figure out what works for us and with our brain and our constitution even, you know? I absolutely agree. Knowing about your focus and attention and how it works best and when you can write and when you, when you work best that way, I think that's really part of being a professional. There are things you could do to make the physical writing on the page better when you're revising or whatever. But as far as how to get the writing out there, I think it's worth some study into the process that works for you if you're serious about this. How did you come to this? Because you didn't land as a writer from the beginning, did you? No, I did not. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I have this wonderful story that so many others have where I had a teacher who in like seventh grade told me I would never be a writer. I, I like submitted, I gave her an essay for homework and she's like, yeah, you're never going to be a writer. So just like pass the class. Right. They planted a seed. And so I kind of never went toward writing. I, I pursued a career in health and public health and nutrition. I went to get my master's in nutrition and I really enjoyed that. Um, but it, it was kind of rote and boring. And I was, and my first job was at LA County Public Health. I was doing epidemiology. So I was studying epidemics that were happening in the county. And, and there was a portion of that job that required writing reports. So I really loved that. Like I discovered, I really loved the writing. And then there was this alumni newsletter that came out saying that they were looking for writers for CBS Health Watch. Now it's WebMD, but at the time it was CBS Health Watch, like the early, you know, the early dot-com booms. Um, and so I, I was like, oh, this would be a great way to make some extra money. And so I just started writing about nutrition for CBS Health Watch. And then over time, it was like, this is what I want to do. And so I gradually started taking part-time jobs so I could freelance on the side um, until I got really well established. And then I I leapt into full-time freelancing after I, after I was able to get on my husband's health insurance. That's the, mm -hmm. the <laughs> yeah. business complication. Yeah, it really is. Like for me, security was so important and I just could not, I wasn't able to make the leap in my mind until I had that health insurance piece handled. So yeah, I waited yeah. until I was married. <laughs> and I think that's fair too. I was a self-employed writer for about 10 years before I was married. And it was a billion years ago. I've been doing this about 25 years. But but even then, the health insurance cost was prohibitive. We, so if you have the side hustle, because you get the insurance and the benefits or whatever it is, and you're writing, do that thing. All right? This is yeah. a business and we have to approach it like that too and, and take responsibility for our health and our family in some cases and the other things that come with that. And those positions are out there. I mean, it took me a while, but I found, you know, jobs where I could work three days a week, I was still writing, but those three days a week gave me insurance. So, yeah, um, you know, I was able to save the other two days to do my own freelancing. And that was really, it was a good way for me to dip into it. Cause I, I'm very big on, like I said, security and <laughs> I just wasn't brave enough to go bold. A lot of people do, you know, save up, you know, a year's worth of income before they try. I didn't do it that way. I did sort of the gradual 
approach. Yeah. yeah. Again, I think it's knowing what your process and what you need at that time. And um, I know many writers who freelance for a long time and made a successful career and then went back and, and took writing jobs for a corporation <laughs> or in an office. And I think that's fine too. You, it, it's not an easy job. And there are lots of ways in this world now to be a professional writer. And you need to find the one with the structure that supports you, I think. Exactly. Totally agree. I like that you're using your expertise and your writing, though, because you do a lot of health and nutrition pieces and a lot of wellness, family parenting stuff. So are, do you feel like you're incorporating the education and your job experience into the writing experience? I do. I think, honestly, that was my break into writing. You know, I had these letters after my name that gave me a certain cachet with editors at the time where I could just like take on these nutrition stories because I had a nutrition degree, you know, um, over time, I didn't really want to write about nutrition and health as much anymore, you know? Um, so I started diversifying and writing more about relationships and travel and wine and food and things that I really was, you know, excited about. Not that nutrition and health aren't exciting, but I had done so much of it that um, mm -hmm. it was nice to break in that way. And then also realize, well, now I have this whole world open to me and I can, I can write about all kinds of things. So that was really liberating, but yes, I still, I do feel like that education allowed me to view studies with a critical eye to know what I'm pitching when I'm pitching a story to sort of know where the story is um, rather than, you know, the one study headline that people tend to gravitate toward where you realize, okay, this is really going to fall apart when people try to replicate that particular <laughs> study, right? So it did help to have that sort of background, I think. Um, and I do think it allowed me to pursue gigs that I might not have otherwise been able to get. That's an interesting point, though, because so much in the industry, people talk about the niche, right? And and I definitely have had a niche over the years with in psychology and, and mental wellness and so forth. But I've also done all these other things, like about embezzlers and giant pumpkin growers, because I... I was interested in those too. I, I, it can be tiresome to always write the same kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. I think it's important to break out and, and go to your curiosity too. Yes, a hundred percent. I love that. Like follow your curiosity because that will always be more fun for you to write. And I'm very big on joy these days, like wherever we can get it. <laughs> Absolutely. You know. Right. Right. And I want to know more about essays. So we're going to take a quick break on Simply Write with Polly. And we have Amy Patterell here on the show. And we're going to come back and talk about personal essays right after this break. And we are back. I'm Polly. You're listening to Simply Write, the podcast where we talk about creating a writing career and living the writer's life. And we have Amy Paterell here on the show today. And Amy, I want to get into essays. You are well known for and your essays. And I've read many of them and they're stunning and they're beautiful. And I leave thinking about me, even though you're writing a moment of your life or an experience you have. Is that part of the deal? Do you want your personal essays to relate to the reader? Yes. Um, so it's interesting you say that because yes, I would say that is the crux of a good personal essay is, is, you know, I don't just want you to tell me your story. I want to feel your story. I want to feel it in my life. Um, and it can be difficult to achieve that. So that's where I say that's you're finding your story because yeah, we all know what happened to us, but how does what happened to us affect other people. So 
Um, yes, that universal theme is at the crux of every great personal essay. Um, and sometimes you don't know what it is when you start. In mm -hmm. fact, I'd say most of the time, I don't have any idea what my universal theme is until I like write through it, as I mentioned earlier, with sort of different exercises to get me deeper into the topic and what I'm uncovering and learning for myself at the same time as I'm taking my reader on that that ride too. How did you land as an essayist? Are you, is it something that you were developing your own writing? Is it something you started getting curious about as far as the form or the structure? What, what drew you? You know, I think honestly, for my entire life, it has been a form of therapy for me. Mm -hmm. I've been writing in journals since I was a little girl, you know, and that was at the time I didn't realize what I was doing, but it, I think I am one of those people that really has to analyze my life as I live it to maybe live it more fully. Um, so I've always been writing uh, as a way of therapy and as a way of understanding the world around me and what's happening in my personal world. Um, so I don't think I really knew I, again, I go back to that teacher telling me I couldn't really write. I didn't dig, dig into essays until I was already writing a lot about health and nutrition. Um, and I just felt pulled, you know, there were topics that I wanted to get out into the world. Um, and so I just started, I just, you know, started writing. And the beauty of essays is you write the whole thing and you pitch it instead of waiting for an editor to say, yeah, I like this idea. Go ahead and write it. Hmm. You're just, you're doing it first. So um, there's something liberating about that too. Do you ever run out of material? I mean, you're mining your own life all this time, or are the rest of us just looking at our lives as too narrow or as uninteresting? Are you able to see stories where the rest of us may not? Yeah, I think that's so interesting. One of the one of the essays I love to pull out as examples for my students are the ones that are about like the mundane things that happen to us every day, because hmm. there are stories in our everyday. I think we just don't realize it. I'm a huge fan of Matthew Dix. I don't know if you're familiar with him of Storyworthy. Um, mm -hmm. And he has something called Homework for Life. You can even like Google the TED Talk and watch it. It's really interesting. So every day he just jots down a few words about something that happened that day that could make a really good story. And it could be something as simple as like lying in bed with your child as he was going to sleep. You know, it could be like we were talking about before the show started, my son being sick yesterday. Like you learn something almost every day, right? So if you can mine, if you can look at your life like that and mine it for ideas that way, um, I think it can be, you'd be astonished at the things that come up. I that like that be because that's, I think, at the heart of all writing, right? We have to pay attention. And for essays, mm -hmm. I think you have to pay attention in a in a deep way and, and then be reflective of that. Because if you're thinking this and feeling this, probably somebody else has some inkling too about this topic. Yes. And it makes you feel more normal too. When you get yeah. some of this out in the world and people are like, oh my God, I totally feel the same way. You're like, wow, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm normal. That's good. That's why I read your essays and other because it's like, oh yeah i know i've done that mm -hmm. too or i felt that yeah. way what are the components to a good essay now i want to get into this because you're teaching an essay class coming up right you teach mm -hmm. this stuff yeah i do i teach about i do six week workshops about three or four times a year and then i do like an alumni class for people who have taken that first class um, I keep them small. There are only about 10 students, but it's just such a great way to, it's a platform. So people communicate and you learn from each other and it's, it's really fun. It's probably one of my most enjoyable parts of my career is teaching other writers because 
it, there's nothing better than showing somebody that, that they have a story and that they can publish it. Um, and I do think there are these critical elements and not all of my essays have had them in the past. Like now hmm. I'm seasoned, but when I first started, I don't think I had all of the elements. Um, and you don't have to have all of the elements in every essay, but I do always come back to these four specific things. One is you have to have a great story, right? You have to have something that shows that you changed from the beginning of the story to the end. So if you're the same person at the start of the story as you are at the end of the essay, it's probably not that powerful. Like we want to see a change in you, some small or big change. Um, another element is timing. You know, I, this is something that I kind of overlook. I do not do this a lot, but if you see people's bylines quite a bit in some of these bigger publications like Huffington Post and, and um, Shondaland, some of these publications that really want timely current events, um, if your story is hooked to some current event, what even if it's only like a holiday, like Mother's Day or something, mm -hmm. um, those ones are, are likely to be more saleable. Editors need things pegged to the to the news. So if you can relate it, even if it's like a movie that just came out or a TV series that's coming out that you have some relationship to. One of my writing friends just published something the other day, just how somebody's work in the entertainment industry made her feel more normal as an Asian American. So mm -hmm. there you go. You know, it's like, it's anything like that. Um, and then there's that universal theme that you and I were talking about earlier. So the story isn't just about what happened to you, but it, it what happens to other people too. So like, if you're writing about your mom and at the end of the essay, your reader wants to call their mom, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like you're trying to make that connection between the personal and the universal. And then the other thing is great characters. And um, mm. you are a character in your own essay. So <clears throat> even if it's only that you're relaying the character through dialogue, um, we want to be able to see those people. So I always I always turn to essays that you, you get a real sense of a person, even in just a few words or a sentence. Um, so we want to be able to visualize them, see them, hear them, feel them, all of that. Yeah, you are the character. I think that's an important thing to remember. Do you feel vulnerable? I mean, this, this is some of your life story coming out there. <laughs> yes, I think you do. Um, you always feel vulnerable and you always at some point in an essay feel like it's crap. Like it's, mm. it's very hard, at least for me. It's a very challenging genre, I think. And almost every essay I've written, I'm like, is there even anything here? I get to that point where I'm just like, ah, I don't know where I'm going with this. Um, <laughs> But yes, you do feel vulnerable. And some of the essays that I've written, especially those that are like therapy, um, I've written them under a pen name. You know, I've mm. published them overseas. I've, uh, you know, I'm I'm not always as willing to be naked on the page as some other writers mm -hmm. I really admire. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think the other thing that's so important and that we talk about in my class a lot is this idea of your story doesn't just affect you. Like there are, there are people you're writing about in those essays. And so a lot of writers get backlash. They get ousted from their families. They're, you know, people don't want to talk to them because they're afraid they're going to end up in their stories. So um, I have my own personal rubric for when I'm going to write about people. And I do, I'm very big on sharing stories with people who are in them first, if I can, 
if I'm in touch with those people um, and or changing their names. But I also always take Mary Carr's advice, which is like no character in your essay is a villain. Like you need to show what happened instead of pointing a finger at somebody. I love that. No character is a villain because truly life, I mean, there are very few villains in our, in our life, really. <laughs> there are people that make us mad or hurt our feelings or things that we do that are crappy, but that's interesting. I love that perspective. Is there, can you make a living at this? Is there a market for our essays now? Are people <clears throat> selling these? You know, I think, and that's why my, my classes have changed over the years too, because now I started writing, I mean, I started teaching reported essays. So there's a lot bigger market these days for reported essays than there are for straight personal narratives. And with a reported essay, you sort of start with your personal experience, but you're, you're doing some reporting, you're getting some data and studies, and you're talking to experts and you're making it sort of a service piece within a personal essay. Um, so I think there's a larger market for that. And I do think there's still plenty of markets for straight personal essays as well. Most of these places don't pay what they did when I started writing 20 years ago, you know? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's I know. It's really sad. It's so like, I mean, I, I always give this famous example of good housekeeping, you know, and it's one of the big seven, which I think it's only one of the only one left, but mm -hmm. You know, when I first started writing for them, a straight personal essay would get me $2 a word, mm -hmm. you know, and then they would ask me to run it on the web later. Now, you know, you get asked to write an essay and it's $300, $400, maybe it goes first on the web and then they want to put it in print afterwards without additional compensation, compensation. So it's a completely different world. And there is no way that I could or would want to try to make a living just at essay writing. Mm -hmm. There's, it's just not possible. It, it's so strange to me because I, uh, I've i been doing it a long time too. And it's it's one of the only professions that I can think of where where you have advanced skills, right? Many people I know have degrees. If they're not journalists, they have their lawyers or something mm -hmm. else, or they've practiced this profession for a long time. And they're actually going backwards with every year of experience they get. And, and I've had that too. A magazine that I worked for for many, many times 10 years ago is wants to pay me a third of what I was making then, you know, and I'm better now, I think. So yeah, it's hard. It's a tough pill to swallow. And I think that's why so many of us writers have opened other avenues of other revenue streams. You know, most of my work, my writing work that earns me money is, you know, health content. I'm writing for health organizations mm -hmm. and hospitals systems and nonprofits. And I love that work. Um, but it's a very different muscle than writing essays. So yeah. I joke with people like my hourly rate on an essay is maybe minimum wage, like on a good day, because I put so much energy and time and love into it. Like it does, it takes me a ton of time. Whereas my hourly rate for somebody else is, you know, multi hundreds an hour, which is weird when you think mm -hmm. about it. But mm -hmm. that's how you make space for the writing that you want to do. Yeah. And that's, you know, I do that uh, content marketing writing too. And that, and I, I love that, but you're right. It's a different, it's a different part of the profession. So you need to make room for the other things you also want to do. We're going to wind it up in just a minute, but I ask every writer what's in the desk because I love office supplies. Is there anything, <laughs> Amy, that you need to have to write a cup of coffee or a computer or a pen? Or is there anything special that you bring to the job? Yes, it's so funny. I love this question. Um, ever since I started writing, it is it's those black and white composition notebooks. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I've gotten um, a little bit more adventurous. Some of mine now have different colors or they have designs on the cover or whatever. But 
Um, I have been writing in those composition notebooks for decades, and I don't think I can break free of it. Like I've had people <laughs> gift me these beautiful journals, you know, like even personalized ones, and I literally can't crack them open. It's just it's a it's a weird like thing that I have. I can't write in anything else. So, um, and I always write in my journals in blue bic ballpoint pens. I've tried to I've tried to try other avenues as well there, and it just it never <laughs> it never works for me. Is it the the clear like acrylic that you can yes. see yeah i have a box of those on my desk yes i, I love, love them big pen. i started with those so i assume that's why it's worked because of the pen you know all it, these years i think it might be like it's funny and now <laughs> over the years i've developed different like systems so i use blue when i write in my journal and i use black when i write in my calendar you know it's like nice it's very interesting <laughs> how we develop our little habits. That's what it takes to be a success. The blue right. bick. All right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. I want people to sign up for your class because probably because I want to sign up for your class. How can we find out more about your work, Amy, and and connect with you and, and sign up for your essay classes if we want? Yes. Um, I'm at amypatterell.com. And um, I'm also on Twitter at Amy Patterell, Um And all the social media channels are also on my website. So it's pretty easy to, to, right. to get there. There's also a newsletter there. And I really, if you guys are aspiring, if anybody's aspiring essayist, um, go onto my page and hit subscribe my newsletter and you'll see past issues there. There's some great just essay writing advice. There's stuff about James Fennebaker there and all kinds of other tips and writing prompts and things like that. And sign up for my newsletter. I'm at simplywrite.substack.com where you can go to my website, polycampbell.com and see what I'm up to and, and read my latest posts and blogs for psychology today and other places. And, uh, check in that way. Amy, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for all your wisdom. Thank you so much for interviewing me. This was a lot of fun. A lot of fun for me too. Writers, as you go into the week, remember this quote by Harper Lee. She said, any writer worth his salt writes to please himself. It's a self-exploratory operation that is endless. Now go forward and simply write. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. 